Good evening, everybody, once again. I am uh, Samuel Ojibola, popularly known as Piff, uh, a veteran Nigerian actor. My, I'm also an emerging filmmaker. I'm a political scientist. By discipline, I am. I also have a, a master's in public administration. But majorly, for the essence of this uh, interview, before I begin to go and call everything that I am now, I can take around that twenty minutes. Let me just go <laughs> to <laughs> to my journey in the industry. So, my journey in the Nigerian film industry, by the grace of God, is uh, about twenty-five years now, if not more, a bit. Uh, by the special grace of God, I am privileged. I like to use the word privilege. I'm privileged to be a a veteran actor and a or a pioneer actor. Pioneer. I think pioneer is a better word. Yes, veteran, but then a pioneer is not, it's a more in a suitable word for the course I'm trying to explain right now. Pioneer means that uh, uh, being part of the founding people that started the industry and um, so when i say my journey is 25 years i have had uh, a very successful child acting career which started from 1996 1997 which everybody knows is the is the origin of uh, of the Entertainment industry, both for acting and, and for and for singing, for artists. So, I I moved into Lyria just a few years before started acting, and um, I I my my dad is someone that had always not restricted us into you know, being who we want to be at a very young age. Um, and that's that's one thing I'm very grateful to God for. I know a lot of people complain about challenges of having parents that didn't encourage their journey. So I'm privileged for that. Um, what that helped me to uh, begin is a journey that started off, you know, just like a... A church drama without realizing that you know someone was somewhere watching me and had strings to the movie industry then coincidentally at that point they needed a young actor for the opa williams film opa williams is another of the founding you know producers in in, in uh in the nigerian family i i had an aunt or i do have an aunt she's still in the industry i don't know if a lot of people watch Dear Mother. Yeah, her name is Munyolu Audutayo. She is uh, just the you know main artist, the protagonist in Dear Mother. Uh, he was uh, she was very young then, maybe in uh, late twenties or early thirties then, and uh, she was uh, already in the industry then. And we were attending the same church, and she the, the church just called. Okay, they want to do a drama about Samuel life of Samuel. I don't know whether it's because my name is Samuel or such coincidence that they decided that I would be the one to play the role. 
And I was doing it as a young boy, you know, with a lot of enthusiasm and passion. And I and she discovered that talent in me and said, oh, this guy is, this is good. And coincidentally, like I mentioned earlier, they needed a, a young boy to play uh, the role of a son to Uncle Kepi Basi, who, in my opinion, used to be, uh, I don't know who is the youngest most sought after actor right now in Hollywood in, in, in the twenties and in his twenties and thirties that plays a, a decent young father to a young family. He used to be that guy. He was the go-to guy and kept young basic. And I'm talking way before Ramsey Noah, you know, he, he just used to be that guy for that. And um I don't know if anybody remembers Amaze Mariagbe. Oh God, he's a veteran veteran, you know actors she's not she's no longer acting she's in the u.s and, uh, she's left the industry a long time ago you know but those were going to be my my dad and my mom my first film and um papa williams had a daughter or he has a daughter she's married now and she has a kid we're all grown up all of us have fathers and mothers now <laughs> but then we were just young six seven year old kids and you know we were opportune to just be around that industry that time and we were, our paths was guided and directed in that light. So my auntie just took me and said, you know what, let's go and meet Uncle Up. And I went to his office one day and it was like, okay, yeah, you look like what I need. Can you do this? Can you do this? Okay, go out of the room, come back and act like you're seeing another man in your, in your parlor and you're asking, who is he? I was trying to see my facial expressions. I was trying to see my deliverables with lines and everything. And I, and I, and I surprised him. And before I knew it, I just started in his first film, Tears for Love dates back to as long as I, like I said, 1996, and uh, it didn't stop there. Again, they called me not too long ago for Without Love. Then it was still the same, Uncle Kepi Ekbayongbasi, but this time, I was privileged to have Auntie Hilda Dokubo as my mom. She was young, she was beautiful. I mean, Auntie Hilda's beauty right now is nothing compared to how beautiful she was when she was young. I still have pictures of, you know, us from that movie set. If I, I still have the poster of that movie somewhere in my house. And, uh, you know, that was my second film, Junior, Without Love. Uh, it, it was it was a beautiful experience. Uh, Uncle Chico Ejiro of Blessed Memory was, was the director on that movie. And before he knew, we seemed to just discover that well, we have a boy that carries lines, you know, that can act and he has everything. He knows when his, his cues are. He doesn't jump the lines and everything. And he took me again and put me on my third movie called Shame. The first time I was acting with the legendary uncle Richard Moffat Damijo and Liz Benson. Uh, coincidentally, at that moment, they needed two young boys. So besides me, they took my younger brother, Gabriel, who, aside acting Shame with me, also acted Conspiracy with me. I don't know if anybody remembers Conspiracy with that. Onyeka Wenu, where she had two young boys and she ran mad. We go, Shame for me, Shame for me, oh, Shame for me. You oh, and oh, I oh, will oh, leave oh, as one. You know, so those, those were the days that really established me in in, in uh, the movie industry. As at that point, I started becoming recognized, not just in the industry, you know, also going around Winnie's in Surulere. If anybody knows Winnie, where Winnie's is to today, I, that means you are <laughs> you have been in the industry for quite some time. You know, in Palawio Bankole in Surulere, around Kilo. Like used to be the headquarters. Then we didn't have any social media. We didn't have any phones. We didn't have anything. If you are looking for auditions, just go to Winnie's. They will post it on all the walls there. Audition, audition, audition. 
are looking for an audition, so and so date, so and so time. You see, actors will troop in, and people will just come and you know start auditioning for roles, and that's how it used to be then, you know. So we started. We started then. By the grace of God, I started getting recognized in terms of awards. Then I just kept on, kept on, kept on. From there, I did Honor May Part 2, Finding Tiger. I did Day of Reckoning, where I put a baby in the freezer. I still have that video somewhere on my Instagram page when I put it. So those were the days that established me as a child actor. And they were the days, thankfully for me, that exposed me, you know, into, into the movie industry. Uh, at some point in my life, then it began to have a toll on me because I was transitioning from primary school into secondary school, GS1, GS2, GS3. By SS1, I, you know, they, by then, uh, Aki and Popo were already the rave of the town from 2001 with Aki and Aki Naokwa, to be honest, in all clarity. You know, this life, if, if this life is a small world, don't ever look down on anybody now because you never knew where they were. Between me and all of you here, when I was a child actor, Chinedu Kedieze had not, he, he, he was, he was a fan of me. And I was shocked to, to realize that, you know, but going to school and then because he was already in university then, you know, and then by the time I was being all the time, they tried to call me and then I was always busy. I'm in school, I'm in boarding school in Ibadan. He was already established with Akina Okwa and then, woo, Akina Popo, those guys just blew Coming now to 2003, when they needed a movie and they could not get Osita and Chinedu together because Osita was on the movie of Spana and Chinedu was free. So they looked for me again. They came to my school and commanded Ibadan to pick me up. Then I was in SS1. I just got into SS1. And uh, and I, I met Chinedu again, but this time now I was the fan. So you see, life... Is about ups and downs. You never know where you don't, don't look at anybody in this industry. Just just don't ever. That'd be your biggest mistake. The guy that you are seeing that is playing one more roles, giving him tomorrow, he might just become the next big thing. And you that is becoming the star, you're even playing sub lead, can just become totally irrelevant. So I, we met, we still had that same chemistry. You know, he was very welcoming. I was that nights where I would sleep in his room, we'll play PS. Then it was PS1 that just came out, we'll play PS1. And you know, I was still, you know, really good in delivering. I'd already by that time I'd already gotten used to cramming lines, and, and it, it that was how I found myself passing every exam. I just cram everything and go and point on your exam paper as a young child. But then at some point in SS1, that same year, I I, I shot with with Chinedu Ikediese. I I needed to really define myself in my education. First of all, as a young man, I was confused. After finishing GS3, everybody was asking, are you going to science or arts class? And I was like, ah, my friends are going to science class. And I, and I went to science class. That was the biggest mistake I made then. I had no direction to know that. Or already I was striving in the arts. What was I looking for in science? And uh, not like as if I was a dull boy, you don't get it wrong. But because for in my SS1 first term, the whole of my first first term, yes, first term. There are always three terms in every, in every session. My first term, I spent... Over a month before exam, shooting fried beans, which in a KDSA in was it Enugu or Aba, you know, somewhere in, in the east. And I lost out of all the valuable lectures I've gotten, which added to the fact that I was already misguided by going to the wrong class. So that took a toll on me. And uh, by the time my first results came out, right, my, my, my 
versus one first result. It was like as if they killed one goat on top of the paper because everywhere was just bloody. F9, 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 physics, F9, chemistry, F9, other mass, F9. Like, ah, now you're not, you're not that dull now. What, what are you doing? And I got home, my dad spoke to me, you know, I was, is it because you are, you, you've been acting and you're getting distracted? No, okay. At this point, you need to focus on your books. And that was the best decision he made for me. You know, I went back to school, realized that, okay, okay, I think I made a mistake going back to science class. He encouraged me because he asked me, did you want to go to science or art? I said science. So he, he just encouraged me, he, he, you know, he gave me that, that length. But when we realized that I, I wasn't a science class guy, I went back to art class in, in second term and I started coming out with distinctions, you know. So I, I knew, okay, this is where I should be. And uh, from then on, 2003 till about 2009, I went on a break, a long hire to six years away from the industry to focus on my education, to really redef define myself in my education. Because, you know, the funny thing about, I like to tell people, yes, we're in a generation where we believe that education is not, it doesn't really define you. I don't, I don't disagree with people like that. But I'll tell you very honest, yeah? There's time for everything. There's a time for secondary school. If you, if you jeopardize that time for secondary school or the time for university and you focus it on other things that you can still do later on, it might be difficult to come back to that time to be able to accomplish those things. And he made the right decision for me and telling me to take a break. And I focused on my education, stayed away from acting. It, to be honest, took a toll on my acting career. It did. Because from 2003 then to 2009, every job that came, my dad said no, no, no. And so other actors now began to become relevant. Adima, you know, so Madina and the rest of the other guys, uh, Uche, uh, what's his name again? Uh, you know, these are like young actors that, that that are also big right now. They they also Uche, Uche Williams, yes. They they also it also give them the, the opportunity to 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 grow and and you know explore themselves. And I'm happy for them too that they also got discovered. You know, so I that six year hiatus took a toll on my career and. I just became almost irrelevant. You know, no one recognized me again. So that is the start of my journey. There's also the second part of my journey, which came back in 2009, you know, walking back with Teko Benson, because Teko Benson produced Day of Reckoning, my, one of the films that gave me my child actor awards then. Teko Benson used to be one of the biggest producers then and directors, State of Emergency, and some top action films had Teko Benson there, you know, so... He was doing a film later and he like, Samuel, do you still act? I was like, oh, why not? I've been, I've been crazy. Because the honest truth is that since I left the industry, my heart kept on yearning. Like, I'm supposed to be here. I really want to be here. If I see where they're acting on my street, I'll go and stand there. I'll try to greet those guys. But some of them weren't recognizing me again because I'd already grown. I wasn't that small as I used to be. So times had changed. Seasons had come and gone, you know. But God knew that this was something that I love. This was something that, you know, I was crazy about. It was something I had a calling to was, and he guided my path back into the industry then. Not too long from then, the Johnson's opportunity came over. And uh, it's, uh, let me just say, <laughs> the rest is history. Everyone knows every other thing that came after that. So that's uh, as much as I can tell you from my, my journey into, into, the, into Nollywood. Yeah.
Oh, wow. Oh, thank you very much. In fact, with everything you've told me, I, I just calculated your age. You're like 60, 60 years old. That's, that's, that's how old you are. Because just now, <laughs> it's like 50 years back. And I'm like, you know, the names that you're calling, I mean, it just shows that. It just shows when you, you know, started. And it's really amazing. Thank you very much for sharing all that it was it was really inspired i won't lie you know because you know some of us we, we get into this industry and we're just like you know we don't know what's going on you know and it seems like you you, you know you got in at the very early stage and you know you really saw i don't want to say it's so, so shaky but you saw the ups and downs that's that's what it is so thank you very much so moving on straight into the business of today you know, my first question is, is is a very, you know, I think when I when I when I was thinking about it, I said, "Come on, we have a lot." But what what are the different stereotypes you you know you are you are tired of seeing in Hollywood? You know, and I think for our listeners, I think you can you can comment in the. You know, you can comment. You know, in this, in the comment section. You know, what are the stereotypes? that you are tired of seeing in Hollywood? And, you know, why do you think they are, they are, you know, is it tiresome or what's the word? Why do you think they, you know, why, why, why are you tired of seeing them? <laughs> so, uh, to be very honest, to be very, to be very honest, uh, this stereotype challenge, that uh, is being discussed is not just familiar to uh, our own Nigerian movie industry. Yeah. If uh, if you take a look at Hollywood as as as, um, as big as the industry is, or even Bollywood, they have some certain stereotypes in terms of uh, actors that play certain roles consistently, and I can give you a few of them over time. Let me give you a few of them. Um, so I'll give you examples from from Hollywood, you know, which we all, at least most of us have, have seen a lot of films from them. So uh, actors like, um, what's the name of this guy? Jim Carrey. Actors like Jim Carrey are obviously stereotype characters. Uh, Actors like uh, Van Damme, Jackie Chan, as, as, as surprising as it should sound, they are stereotype characters because they come along playing the same kind of genre. In fact, almost to some extent, the same kind of storylines and the same kind of characters. It's either uh, Jackie Chan is a police officer trying to go and save one girl that they're kidnapping, you know, uh, Jim Carrey is obviously the goofy guy that, that you cannot take serious. And imagine switching roles, taking Jim Carrey and playing him in a serious role. People won't take him serious. Uh, there are lots of characters that, that have that issue. But as it regards to Nollywood, uh, I, I want to be very <laughs> careful in not mentioning people, you know, especially... Uh, older actors because of the respect from them. 
but it's not like as if I'm 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 uh, scared, you know, or I I I feel you know I would insult them in a way. But whether we like it or not, there are certain people that have just been streamlined to playing the same set of roles. Everybody knows Patience Ozoko plays the the evil mother-in-law. I mean, that one is even too cliche. Uh, who else again? Kanayo, Kanayo. We know him for rituals, you know. Then, uh, in fact, beyond even actors, like you mentioned last week Friday, it goes beyond just uh, actors playing certain repetitive characters. Uh, it also goes into tribes and how they are stereotyped to play certain kinds of roles. Like uh, Calabar boy or Calabar girl playing a house help, a house man, a gate man, you know, yeah. and, and things like that. But, but as much as for us, you know, film lovers and film practitioners can sometimes find it tiring and, you know, uh, caging, caging, you'd be surprised that a lot of the fans love 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 seeing them doing those things that they, they love to do or doing what doing those things that they know this characters or types to play but on that note on that note the fans so do you would you now say oh the fans love because there are a lot of things i i i, I watch i used to work um how do i put this so i i'm conversing with a lot of youtube movies and if you watch many of these YouTube Nollywood movies, find out that a lot of these stereotypes are inside these movies. And they love these stereotypes. They love the prince taking the village They girl. do. They do a whole lot. They love, so I usually ask myself, is there a moral body on us to actually change that and say, you know, let's... I don't care whether you guys love this thing. I don't think this thing is is is, is good for you mentally. <laughs> you know, let's change it. You know, so I think that's where where the balance of oh, you're trying to satisfy the audience versus you trying to take a moral stance as a filmmaker or something like that. You're very right, my bro. Mm. So it it actually depends on who and what they're looking for. At the end of the day, you get some people, producers that they want to cast you doing the same thing they know you're doing. In fact, now that we've had a more uh, skit makers, you know, join the folks of Nollywood, we see how producers bring them to come and do almost exactly the same thing that they do on their skits. You know, the same. Uh, catchy lines that they use and phrases, catchphrases that they use just so that their influence can rub off on uh, mm. the movie and at the end of the day resonate in uh, output or demand from the fans. So so it's a two-way thing. From mm. producer's side, they always be looking at how you know they can take advantage of the fact that, okay, this is the part of this personal this character that the fans love and how we can bring that into our circle and see how it can influence our production. Yeah. 
and then on the, the side of the fans too, as well as on the side of, of the you know the the character or the actor. So it's from different sides. It's from it just depends on what who wants what and who doesn't want what. Mm. Yeah. So um also looking at uh, um what's it called the the stereotypes and the fact that you know some of these movies or movies in essence are supposed to like reflect what we see in society and um, kind of our reality so you ask yourself um are they really stereotypes so this is not even really this is not even really about um or the movie itself is that within our societies, there is stereotype that we have and we are now just reflecting it or mirroring it into the, into the movies. Or, or, you know, these are actually stereotypes because there, there are two ways to look at it. If, as movie uh, filmmakers, we are supposed to kind of, um, you know, reflect or mirror our reality. Do you, do you think that we should then be bothered about saying, oh, this is a stereotype within the society, we shouldn't put it in the movies? Or, you know, this is a stereotype in the society. That is why we need to actually put it in the movies. You know? so what, what do you, what, what's your take on that? That's a very interesting question. And uh, it's something I've been deliberating about for a while. And uh, whether we like it or not, uh, the creative uh, industry, whether the music industry or the filmmaking, you know, stage drama industry has such tremendous influence on society, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it is very, very important to uh, be aware, conscious about the kind of messages we portray in our in our in our stories for obviously good reasons um for example uh i have been very i, I don't know i don't think the word is curious i think i've been questioning why uh i've noticed two very important stereotypes in in in, in our in our stories mm. the First one would be the the emphasis on a boy and a girl relationship in most movies. Bro, I, I shit you not. Nine, I'm not trying to give you know wrong figures, but I'll tell you categorically more than 75% of films we watch somehow surrounds a boy and a girl dating somehow. Mm. It just it just goes around that circle. It may not be a young boy, a young girl. It may be a, you know a guy in his mid thirties, you know, and a lady in this thing. But ever since I've been in the movie industry, right from when I've been acting as a young boy, you know, uh, or let's even take it beyond just boy and girl. Maybe a, a husband and a wife, you know. And while I don't even have an issue with the husband and the wife one, you see the one about the 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 guy or the girl in a relationship and you know then they start talking about either maybe she was date supporting the guy when he was broke dating him when the guy now made money now started doing anyhow you know or just something surrounding that story or she she was 
so uh, support or they were both dating and then at some point she cheated on him you know it just always goes around that circle and that you know image has laid a mindset on our people to focus more on relationships even from from as young as secondary school you find out that people are not conscious about self-development they are more conscious of being in a relationship with someone in my opinion which you know takes away out of your growth because if, if you focus on your own life your goals until you're about 25 going to 30 or even maybe depending or to what you're about you know ready for marriage you find that you achieve more than when you are in a relationship you find a young boy in secondary school you haven't even started making money you know you're thinking of going to buy valentine gift you're gathering your money that you're supposed to use to maybe start a business small business on the side but you're using it to go and pump into one girl's this thing trying to show her that you can take care of her at a very young age you know so there's there's that stereotype that i've always questioned another stereotype which i'm sure most of us will recognize is the stereotype of having people going to visit babalaos in in the mm. movies but i am tired of that shit part of my uh. french but it's i don't want to say especially Yoruba films <laughs> i really don't want to say that but we get into we, we, we get into in in the you know in every form of every form of our movies every form and if you if you watch it that same image transcended up down to those that have recently started doing skits you find them too they're doing babalao they're doing babalao they're doing babalao why are we constantly having such image and whether you like it or not those images have gone down to the minds of our young boys and that's the reason why you are hearing yahoo plus or people going to do blood money more even even more frequent now than before because that's the image they see they believe that they have salvation from going to meet one uh someone that sees a seer or something that mm. can tell them the way how to make money fast or who is destroying or disturbing their progress, you know. And, and it's, it's, it's a challenge. It's a challenge to be able to put people in that kind of mindset and not understand that, you know, sometimes while we know that we are not able to see the future, but if you do a lot of reflective thinking and discuss with your soul and your maker, within yourself, you don't even need to go to a church or to go and meet a pastor. You can you can train yourself to hear from God, and if you are very if you are very conscious enough and aware, you can you can observe signs and patterns as to why things are happening in your life. You know, so I'm I'm someone that has been really, you know, cautious about the effect of things like that on on our on our society. And it's uh, whether we like it or not, I'm I'm definitely of the motion that uh, we need to censor. Uh, the kind of uh, stories that we put out there, you know, to ensure that we we traject a better image of ourselves. Sorry, my son is saying hello to everyone. <laughs> so, so we, we can, you know, display a better image of ourselves or, you know, help people to understand how to live better in society. That's it. To be honest, that's, that's my opinion. I totally agree with you. I think, 
I think if we really want to, you know, look at uh, uh, the likes of Hollywood and you know other f- film industries, I think they are. And you look at the films; they are like waves, and you see the kind of movies they push out during a particular period. And look at the society within that period; you see that that's the way their society is. And I think because we we can all agree that film really shapes our environment and shapes our mindset. So I, I think we can all agree that, you know, sometimes we need to be cautious of the kind of films that we put out. But then there's something that you said. Uh, there's something that I said, I underlined it, censorship. Hmm. As you said it, I said, hmm, 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 that's what I said in my mind. Because censorship is is now a very, to me, I think is a very dicey, dicey thing. And um, what happens with censorship, especially with uh, with uh, things like this, is because we're talking about um, something about morals, you know. And when you use censorship, or when you use censorship to try to curb a moral issue, it means that you're replacing someone as the moral head, <laughs> yeah, you know. And because of the way morality is, <laughs> it can be very dicey. Yeah, so um, I don't know. That was ju- that was just me, you know, thinking thinking on the spot and you know, try to trying to look at you know the issue of, of censorship. Do you really think that you know we can censor it, or this is this is an alternative that you know came to my mind, or we actually try? as filmmakers, as, you know, new filmmakers try to spread your, because I don't, I, I don't know the extent to which we can censor people, but I know that if we can change the minds of people, we can actually start getting more people to create more, you know, more productive films. I think that's the way, that's the way I, I would put it. But I, I don't know, I don't want to poke on that censorship or except you want to, you know, expatiate on the issue of censor- censorship. What, what, you know, so what you are trying to say is that, oh, this movie, don't put it out. I mean, I think we already have some level of censorship, although I think it has reduced now because there are even issues where people talk about, oh, there's a lot of nudity in Nigerian movies now. But as much as, the censor things like you know uh, LGBTQ movies or stuff like that. We still have a lot of other issues. So I don't know. I don't know what extent censorship can really go. But moving on from that. So now the question is, um, where does the burden lie? Where does the moral burden lie? You know, yeah, you talked about censorship, but do you think uh, a burden still lies on the actors to you know probably decline some of these roles? Uh, these stereotypical roles that you see? Well, I always like to start with, say, in my opinion, uh, you know, I think uh, the responsibility lies more on the producer or the director. And, I, and I'll give my reasons why. So, I've, I've literally seen films where they needed to act uh, a, a lovemaking scene. A lovemaking scene. Now, 
things like that can be told in a much more subtle way. Even, even if it has to be a rape scene, I've seen a very decent rape scene, trust me. I've seen a very, very decent rape scene. So if, if we have more, you know, morally inclined, you know, directors or producers, we can ensure that while we are still trying to get the message across, we can put it in a way that, you know, would not begin to affect the minds of the audience negatively. Mm. Especially because that the Nigerian media, to a very large extent, is almost not uh, protected from children, from teenagers, whatsoever. I've gone to places where, ever since I've been young enough, I've, I've at least for a long time, I can tell you that Music videos have had, you know, girls in bikinis. It didn't just start in Nigeria. You know, we are, we are, we are <laughs> to some extent, we are very Eurocentric in losing touch of what our culture is. When we started our own music and our own music videos, uh, way back in, in the times of the, the older generation, maybe King Sonia Day and them... Uh, and then Victor Wife, of course, they had ladies, you know, uh, that were dancing and, and vixens, you know, but they were very much more decently dressed. But the foreign contents that we were watching had all those ladies in, in bikini. And that image now began to transcend and influence our own, you know, culture to see that, okay, we also started doing the same thing. And I can categorically tell you, for the last 10 years, more than 85% of the music videos that you see on TV have girls in bikini. Why? Because that has now become the new normal. And if you notice, it's not just, it doesn't just end there. It reflects the lives of our, of our citizens. You now see people very... I'm not judging people. Please don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not judging people. But I'm just telling you how, you know, the media affects social culture. I'm a social scientist, by the way, before, uh, well, from my university discipline. So I understand the bits of psychology, sociology, you know, and things like that. So these things have influenced our minds. They've influenced our minds one way or the other. And it's, it tends to have an effect on people. It tends to, it does, it has an effect on people. So if we find more subtle ways of doing these things, I think we can, we can still pass the message, but in a much more better way. That's just my opinion. I don't think that you completely now see that and we say no, no love-making scenes. Of course, there will be love-making scenes. I've seen love-making scenes where, let me give an example now. Okay, the the guy, the husband and the wife, you know, are talking in the parlor, and then they start kissing, and then she's trying to take off his button, and then the camera just tilts off. You obviously know that they made love after, you know, there. And the next thing you see them on the bed, you know, and then they're talking. You don't need to really show the whole but because sex has now become something that is being sold 
you know, and people are trying to take advantage of that negatively to sell their, their products. That is why there has now become some sort of emphasis in trying to do things that way. And that's what I feel that should be censored. But then what do I know? <laughs> well, well said, well said. I never wanted to ask because, I mean, there are some actors that, you know, are falling into this, um, this stereotype trap, you know. We've just been asked, it's like, for example, Princess Ozoko. <laughs> Someone said that Princess Ozoko acted as a wicked mother at the point that she had to go to church and become a pastor so that people, people will stop seeing her as a wicked mother. I, I, I heard a story and I'm really hoping that that's not true. <laughs> so... I heard that, I think it was one fellow actor that told me this on set too. <laughs> that, you know, there was one time you were shooting somewhere in the East. That yeah. time that she was really, really, you know, giving that image to people. And yeah. then, you know, one old woman saw her and just came to slap her. Why are you this wicked woman? Why are you wicked like this? <laughs> Every time you're always doing this. this. <laughs> so, uh, I... I, and you know, I'll be very, I'll be very honest with you. As much as we, there are, there are people that appreciate, you know, the, the talent, the, the believability of of our actors. There are still people that that think that, you know, that is their true life. Mm-hmm. Mm. There are people that think that that's how they actually are in real life. You know, I've yeah. come into me. I've met people that have seen me, you know, in my true elements and say that, uh, that why am I pretending? <laughs> that they know me now, that I'm very troublesome. I'm not this calm. I'm not this uh, quiet. Uh, I've met people that think that I'm, I'm <laughs> that I'm I'm pretending to be normal, that my my true normal is is spiff, you know. So there are people that really, really, really think that, you know, the the, the characters they see on TV, you know, mm. are who they are in real life. And it takes me back to to something that I I heard in Mi's album. Mi's album. He has an album. I think it's called Young Denzel or so. And in the album, he was talking to a psychologist, and of course, he was he was discussing his own, you know, fair share of issues as, you know, celebrity and as an actor. Sorry, as a celebrity rather, and as a musician. And the lady, obviously a white lady, obviously a white lady was. Obviously, a white lady was saying that, you know, whether he likes it or not, there are fans that do not see celebrities as human beings. They see them as, you know, uh, I've forgotten the word she used. Uh, something about of their fantasy, an image of their fantasy, you know. And she was talking about the adulation of having millions of followers online, but in real life, you find out that that's 
you know, person is actually maybe a lonely person or doesn't really have much friends because they only see that person from the image of what they have been introduced to mm. by the media and not for who that person is. So these are, these are part of the challenges that comes with being stereotyped. So, but, but for someone like that, now how do you think, how do you get out of that, uh, that box? Because I think it's a box and it has limited many... Uh, yes, it does. It, it, it definitely limits people. Uh, and by the grace of God, I... I have, uh, as a futuristic person, I have I'd already seen that coming for some mm-hmm. years now before I made that decision to, to walk out of, uh, of the Spiff character. Um, because as an actor, there's, a, there's how credible of a performance you can give that you know fans would always think that this is who you are. And mm-hmm. if you play that character too much and too long, they just get used to you being that person. Mm. So uh, the wise thing to do at that point would be to take away that image from their eyes for a while, mm. you know, for a while and reintroduce yourself as, as, as someone else when that image has faded off, obviously, you know, and then they will now begin to relate with that, with that person based on the new image that they are seeing. I'll give an example. So, when I started acting, I knew, I knew Uncle Richard Mufet Damijo, uh, Uncle Kepi Ekpayong Basi, Liz Benson, you know, and the likes of them as the young daddy and mommy, Hilda Dokubo, as the young daddies and mommies having two young children starting up a family, you know, RMD took a break off acting, spent years doing something else. And then when he was reintroducing himself, he's now coming now as a granddad. That's a mm. different image. He's now coming as, a, you know, just something different from, from what they knew him for when he was still young. You know, yeah, mm. when he was still younger, they used to show him in those days in films. I, I did shame with him with Liz Benson in 1997 or so. And the storyline surrounded a young man had a wife and two kids and he was struggling financially he was trying to get jobs take care of his family he couldn't he had to travel abroad to go and do drugs got locked up in prison the wife now you know started having an affair with one of his his friends who was there financially to support her when there was nobody so you mm. rmd cannot be playing such roles now he's gonna be playing such roles now he'll be playing it as the father to that guy you know so, so there, there are different ways to, to reintroduce, you know, oneself uh, once one is beginning to get stereotype. And that's why it, 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 it's just very, very unfortunate, given the kind of country that we are in, that uh, we do not allow for... for actors to be well it's, it's two ways though. it's two ways one way is on on the part of the actor and the other way is on the part of the the, the film or the story that he's about to do so from, on the part of the story 
you can find people that are, like I said, mentioned earlier, they are bringing the same type of roles to the same actor. They do not want to see you outside of that cage because they still want to take advantage of what the fans are crazy about in the character. But on the second part of the actor is, I have seen situations in, in, our, in our industry where you find several roles in several movies but Mm. the actor is playing himself rather than the character i don't know if Mm. you get what i'm saying the actor is just naturally playing himself rather than the character so what that would mean is that let me give you a classical example of that so I heard that sometime in the late 90s or in the early 2000 and so, a Hollywood actor, oh no, not an actor, a Hollywood director or producer wanted to do a film that needed a black man. I think it was this film that Guinness did about Solo. I don't know if you watched that film. About what? Solo. The name of the character was Solo. It was a human that was a robot. It was, it was sponsored by Benson and Hedges. He needed a black man to play that role. So it, I think it was James Cameron, or one very big Hollywood producer and director. And he came to Nigeria because obviously he heard that Hollywood is, you know, the biggest uh, in industry in, in, in Africa. And he said, okay, you know what? I need, I need a certain actor to play this role. And everybody was mentioning one name. Ah, this is our biggest actor. This is our best actor. This is our best actor. And he said, you know what? Give me 10 of that person's films. Let me watch. And they brought 10 of the person's films for the director to watch. And at the end of the day, the director went back to Hollywood without picking anybody from here. He said, because all he saw was 10 different films but the same actor playing the same, playing himself all through. So that is to, to, to you know, actors that are very very meticulous about character interpretation is a form of stereotype mm. which obviously a lot of actors are not aware of you know thankfully right now the industry has started to evolve and we've started to have actors that are becoming you know aware and enlightened to mm. to that uh, flaw and they are ensuring that you know in several places you see them, you see them, you know, with several characters, you know, they don't look alike. They don't sound alike. They don't move alike, you know? So those things help to, 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 to take away that stereotype problem. I, for one, has been someone that always looked up to some of the Hollywood's greatest, you know, uh, if anyone knows Daniel Day-Lewis, in my opinion, is the greatest actor that has ever lived. Daniel Day-Lewis has played... I, I don't think you can find two of that Daniel Day-Lewis films where, you know, you see him even, <laughs> even sounding alike. He's it, it, so different in those characters. And that's why I think he's the first actor to win three Academy Awards for le- leading role in a movie. Mm. I think he is. Yes, I think he is. First actor. You should see him in Lincoln. Lincoln. He he played Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln in 2012. 
completely different. Do you know what he did for that movie? He went to the United you know, States Presidential Library and picked up voice notes of Abraham Lincoln and was spending hours every day listening to the voice and practicing that voice. So if you hear, and then when he was done, he sent a voice note to the director and the director could not tell the difference between Daniel Day-Lewis' voice and Abraham Lincoln's voice. That's the hard work that actors do to prevent being meticulous. That same Daniel Day-Lewis, you know, also played Lefty Brown in, uh, I think, Lefty. One film where he had, uh, I think it's, he played Lefty. I think the name of the movie is Lefty Brown. He played where he had one form of sickness. I think Cerebral Palsy. You should, you should read up on Daniel Day-Lewis. He played a character where he was Cerebral Palsy. Danny Day Lewis was so immersed in that character. He was so immersed in that character that they had to take out two ribs from his right rib, from his right side, so that he can bend and be deformed in this exact same shape of the person that they were writing the biography about. Danny Day Lewis was so immersed in that character that even when the director says cut, he doesn't stand up from the wheelchair. If nobody comes to help him, he would be there till tomorrow. That was how immersed, you know, that yeah. he was in for that character. And, and that's how he does for all of his films. You know, you should, if, if any actor that's really, really, you know, crazy, crazy about, you know, not being stereotyped, should pick up Daniel Day-Lewis films. There are other actors, you know, modern actors that do it. Jared Leto is another fine actor. You know, Benedict Cumberbatch. There are so many young guys now that are doing very great things when it comes to interpretation of character. They don't bring themselves. They read the script. They understand who the personality of the character is, and then they now create an image for it. A look, you know, voice, a gesture, you know, a walking, a walking step around it. I've, I've been sharing this, this, this uh, key tips. <laughs> that I've been using to thrive in the industry for years. And people, you know, I've, 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 uh, I've learned from it. And I'm not, uh, I'm not the kind of person that, that holds on to, to, to creativity, you know, mm. to just because I, I want to continue to outshine. No, I believe that there are opportunities for other people to do better than, than I can, then why not? So that is how I feel in my opinion that people can outgrow these stereotypes. Yeah, so I mean, I've fact you've dealt. I think, I think, done there. Sorry to cut you. Yeah, I think the thing is, um, I was actually having a similar conversation with Uncle Frank just, um, I think last week or so, and exactly the same thing you mentioned was what he was saying. And the, and the concluding part of the discussion was that in this part, in this uh, industry. Most actors uh, does not really want to do the work. Like taking look at the example you made mention now about um, Lincoln film, how the actor went through and how to get materials, mess himself into the character. Like it's a big work. You have to do the work. Like there's no two ways about it. But again, like you mentioned earlier about um blaming the directors and producers. Again, I will also blame 
a director or a producer. The, uh, the director, most importantly, because the director seeing you as a person should be able to separate the actor from the character. Like you as an actor, you are popularly known as this. Let's say a comedian, for instance, because that is more common. They know your style. Then it will be bad for the director to still allow you to bring in yourself without necessarily doing any work. For instance, uh, in the aspect of maybe tweaking how you speak or enhancing your appearance with costume, even if it's just a bed or um, hair or something. Makeup does a lot. Don't look at that film we watched. I think it was... Um, it was it Babylon that just a single high pencil was what the character has that just differentiates her from a normal self? Um, yeah, yeah, it, it, just, was it was just a dot, just an high pencil on her face, and it looked so unique like it separates. Oh, no, okay, that then you're going to see something. The, I said that was the artist, the artist, yeah. Oh, sorry, yeah, the artist, rather. Just a single high pencil, like it separates the actor now from the character she usually plays in movies. So it's just me adding to that. What, what you just reminded me, what, what you just said reminded me of an interview that I, I was watching um, the Graham Norton show, mm. and this guy, um, I've forgotten his name. He, he was talking about it if one of his first few, no, not his first movie, but one movie he did, I think it was, it was American Pie, mm. and that was he, he was the father of a boy, like a sports boy. And because I took the script, saw the character of the father I was supposed to play. I was this stereotypical, you know, doll fathers that you don't you don't know how to take care of their children, and he said that. He was like he wasn't going to play the role, except they changed this, change this, change that, change mm-hmm. that, change that. And my mind was like, okay, this guy has mouth, <laughs> because you know, and and they had to change some of the things within the script until he was comfortable with playing the character, and people don't, you know, just see him as some kind of character that is, you know, maybe doesn't or doesn't know how to take care of his, his teenage child or whatever. So he had that power, a way to like say, oh no, I don't want it to be like this. Just change it like this. Uh, you know, and, 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 and they changed it. You know, so, I mean, I think there are some, there's an extent to which the director will do his part and then maybe the actors that probably got into it. No, 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 no. Not, don't, if you, if you use level, I think um it would it would be would, should i say bad on the part of the actor because personally i feel as an actor no matter where you are big or small low or mid whatever mm. level you have you have a say about the character you're playing for instance you can't tell me that um if you're asked to play nude role in a film and you're not comfortable mm. with it you won't speak out of course yeah. you speak out now same way it goes mm. for words that stereotypes you. So if you know that uh, you are popularly known to be doing this kind of thing, and 
yeah. the role you are meant to play is similar, not exactly the same, but it's similar. So you know that bringing yourself into that role would make people see you as what they usually know you to do. It is in your own, like you have the right to tell the director that, okay, can we just enhance my character with a beard or with a hair or with mm. how I look, just anything. Because you also have to bring something mm. to the table. And that is what um, Sam is trying to say. Like as an actor, you have to do diligence work. Like you have to do the work. You have to do the assignments. You have to do your research. So it's not like the director or the producer will do everything and come and put on your table. No, you to have something to bring to the table. And even because there are a whole lot of... The last set I was on, um, the characters... Yeah, one of the characters uh was meant to play a particular role and the role is kind of stereotypical on the person in as much as i had my own idea and also say okay i know you to be doing this kind of thing can we kind of enhance yourself i love the fact that the actor also brought something to the table like also made suggestion on how she wanted to appear so you get my point so it's it's a thing so it, that blames and i think it cuts it cuts across both the director the producer and the actor because you can't just watch and allow yourself to be you're very right benga um i was asking myself how do you reject a stereotyped character without rejecting the money because <laughs> On the other hand, you need the money to pay the bills. <laughs> mm-hmm. My brother. <laughs> you see this question that you asked, eh? That is where this challenge to the stereotype that we're talking about comes from. So, I've met actors that tell me, waiting be my own concern if they want me, can they play the same thing? No, my money, they could pay me. I share that because... Uh, Listen, I will come say I don't want to collect rule. I know we'll collect money, my money. I know we'll go make money. You know. And I mean, everyone to his own uh, decision and choice. You cannot begin to to coerce people into into trying to show them like, okay, this is what is the right thing to do. So to be honest. <laughs> They are, if it is possible for that kind of the character to be tweaked to have some differences away from what has been stereotyped about them, great. If uh, if it doesn't have, if they require the person to look exactly the same way, you know, put on the same agbada or you know wear the same eyeglasses and and cap even the same color or the same hair bonnet that they know them wearing for. Well, I think the the onus of the choice lies with the actor. Not everybody is uh, is is really crazy about this uh, or really uh, meticulous of this uh, stereotype thing. I'm sure it's uh, people that are just conscious about their 
with their, their characters, you know, and their, their, um, how the image that they portray to the public is are the ones that are very cautious about this. Uh, I'll give myself as an example. So when we started the Johnsons in 2012, initially I had not even gone for any form of acting training or doing any course. And I was, I was still guilty then of just playing myself. I'll just carry any script and just be acting like I'm just delivering the lines with my emotions. And that would be it, you know. But then after I had gotten some form of, you know, training and understood what it means to, to interpret a character, and I began to see, you know, characters in different lights. I took, you know that time that they used to have 21, those 21 DVDs. I found one Johnny Depp. DVD. Oh Lord, I still have the pack till now, but I can't find the DVD. Because I'm sure I must have borrowed it to one of my acting friends and he didn't return it back. And it had over 10 of Johnny Depp's movies. Once upon a time in Mexico, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean, and you know, Donny Brasco. He had so many of his, his classic movies. And I saw Johnny Depp in a different light in every damn movie. And I'm like, okay, so if this guy, and Johnny Depp is actually one of my greatest inspirators after Daniel Day-Lewis. If this guy can be able to create this much character, first of all, luckily for him, uh, all the characters were obviously different. He, he was hardly playing the same character if he's a if he's a writer in one film, a writer that becomes a psychopath. The next one, he's a detective. The next one, he's a drug dealer. So he, he had at least various avenues to express his creativity beyond stereotypism. So if, and I've heard people say that even when you get the same characters, you can still interpret them differently. But like you mentioned earlier, it still boils down to the hard work of the actor. It's a lot of research. It's a lot of research. It's a lot of creative thinking. It's a lot of openness to, to your environment, to environment. So I, I, I get my creativity from anywhere. I get my creativity from anywhere. I, I can be in an organization and the voice I need to use to deliver for or a movie, I'd, I'd find it in the gates, man. Surprisingly. I'll just like the way he sounds, and I just, in my head, once I hear his voice, I'll just be like, this is the voice of the character. This is the script that I've read, though. If I use this voice to interpret this character, I'll get it. And then I can start engaging him and start maybe recording his voice and understanding how he, he pronounces certain words, you know, and understanding how he, the speed of his vocabulary. And then I just begin to read those lines in his voice, read those lines in his voice, read those lines in his voice over and over and over and over. It's a lot of practice before sometimes you can, you can master it. People, people ask me, hey, how did you just all of a sudden know how to be acting speed? And then when they say court, you are, be you are becoming normal. And then when they say action, you are, you are interpreting speed. It was because I spent just a lot of time looking at the mirror and 
playing the image that I wanted to deliver to the mirror. I was looking at myself. I got a lot of creativity from 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 Spiff, from a lot of things. The first example, the face of Spiff, I took it from 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 Tom in Tom and Jerry. Tom has this face that he squeezes his mouth and somehow when he's angry at Jerry, and that's where I, that's where I got the face from. So you can get creativity from, from anywhere. We are not limited, you know, in what we're getting. And, and then you also mentioned something earlier about how the onus lies between the actor, the director, especially the director. I don't want to extend it to the filmmaker. I accept the producer. I accept the director is the producer. But in most cases, if the producer is not the director, you know, it's the director that you meet on set and he's the one that has that, uh, that people usually go and meet up for those things. When I started the Johnson season one, I was basically acting myself. I'd gotten these acting lessons, and by, by season two, I'd put up all these elements. I just told myself, this is a big opportunity. So it's going to be, it's, it's, it's on African magic. It's going to be shown on this platform. What do I want to do that would, you know, make me forever remain in the minds of the audience? And then I cooked up this thing. And then when we resumed season two, I just walked up to the director and I said, sir, Please, I have this interpretation that I have for this character. Can I go ahead and interpret it? He said, sure, go ahead, please. Please go ahead with it. And that was what gave me the encouragement. And immediately we were shooting that scene. I remember shooting that scene with uh, Liquor Rose. Uh, it was a scene I, I wrote a love letter to her, so I was reading the love letter. During the rehearsals, where I knew I'd gotten it right, is the crew members all around me were laughing. They were all just laughing. I'm like, Okay, I knew my, I already knew in my mind that this was it, and all I needed Hello. to hold on to was yeah. yeah. So I just maintained consistency with delivering it, maintained consistency with with just delivering it. I've been in certain situations where I've gotten a script, I've done my work, and I've gone to meet the director, and the director says, "No, this is how I want you to do it." What happens in that in that scenario? What if the director wants you to maintain the stereotype that you know? You are running away from. And then again, beyond all that, especially that we are in Nollywood and not Hollywood, where even the money they are paying you for one film as a lead actor cannot sustain you for three months. Unlike in Hollywood, where Daniel Day-Lewis says that he wants to be doing or he has been doing consistently for a while now, one film in three to five years. One film in three to five years. You should know that, I mean, these guys are in for Superbox. Right from the late 90s, I'm talking about 1994 and thereabouts, when, uh, oh, what's the name of this lady? There are a lot of actresses that in the late 90s, it's not Sandra Bullock, there's this lady that acted, is it Pretty Woman? What's her name again? The lady in Pretty Woman with, uh, with our casino. Does anyone know her name? It just can't come to my head now. The veteran, she's, she's a very established A-list actor. By that time, they had started paying actors in 1994, female actresses for lead role, $20 million. Is it Julia Roberts? Julia Roberts, thank you very much. Julia Roberts, they started paying... Julia Roberts got $20 million for Pretty Woman. Johnny Depp got $300 million for Pirates of the Caribbean 1 to 3. $300 million. I think the last one, he made 75, 75 million from the third installment. $75 million. You can afford to do one film in five years. But in Hollywood now, 
Even with the small money they charge them, they see the price and say, okay, this is our budget. So these are the challenges. These are the challenges that people have with with this uh, stereotype issue. It's just quite unfortunate, but I mean, to stand, to be outstanding, you have to stand out one way. You've paid sacrifices that you need to pay to 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 put you up there. This one, those sacrifices might be choosing to say no to some certain roles. Those sacrifices might be saying, okay, I may not say no, but if I'm going to play this role, I will discuss with the director and say, see, this is my boundaries. I would not be able to play this character like the way you all know me. Uh, and I would also want, like you mentioned, a few touches to my to my image, maybe my hair, maybe my, my wardrobe or something. So that's that's what I feel. All right, all right. Thank you. I think we'll round off now. Um I mean, um, except anybody has any questions, thank you very much. Um, to Sam, I think, um, like Josufoni says, you know, we jot things down and take things around. Hopefully, you know, with this kind of discussions, we as filmmakers will also be better and do better, you know, and we kind of break the what's it called? Is it, is it a curse? Because of of stereotypes, because you know stereotypes, you know can be dangerous. They can, in fact, define people falsely, and you know, and it can take a lot to remove that cause. So um, I think I think I think in general, what we just take away is that we should just do better and and be better, because really, really. There's a lot of effect on on this territory, not just on the audience, the society, and also the the, the actors themselves. You know? So I think we just have to do better. So if we have any question, anybody has any question, you can just make a request to be a speaker. So um, why we wrap up? Any hand notes from Mr. Sam? Well. I'd uh, just encourage everyone to to be unique, to find a way to think out of the box of the challenges that we have in, in, in our space, in our structure, in the industry. Find a way to improve on what has already been laid down. You know, whether it be our stories, uh, for directors that are, that are here, you know, the, the artistic part of directing, not just the technicals, uh, and just generally ensure that we, we keep telling great stories because right now we are in, a, we're in an era where we have more advantage than than uh, than those who began the journey before us. I mean, they never had any streaming platforms, and now we have all that. Uh, right now, the world is even recognizing our filmmakers, you know, more than ever before. So, the sky is a starting point for anyone. I know we have challenges with the. Uh, with finances, with, with with everything, we're just making films. It's a very stressful job, but God will continue to help us. Thank you, guys. I appreciate everyone that came around. God bless you. Keep All doing right. Great.
very much. Yeah, and it's a wrap. <laughs>